And we are live with Intentional Parenting here on Joko Community Radio this morning. Good morning, ladies. Good, Good morning. morning. Right. Now, this show is hosted by Patty Rooks and Amy Long, right? And then right. you have special guests. Oh, and Amanda. Amanda oh, Ford is here with A World for Children. And then we have Lashika. Yes, Mayberry. Mayberry. I was going to say something else. Mayberry with us this morning with the company called... Forget the name. Family of Family Faith. Of Thank Faith you. Service Thank providers. you. See, I am not supposed to be sitting here today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let y'all take it away. How about that? So welcome, Joko Community Radio. Take it away, Absolutely. Amy Long. Mm-hmm. We we want to say thank you to to our sponsors, The World for Children. Um, we couldn't do this show without them. But we're going to get down to business. Yes. Good morning, Lashika. Good morning, Amy. How are you? I am fantastic this morning. I'm going to just hit this off. I want you to tell your story about how you how you call this your baby. Yes. How your baby came to exist. Okay. Well, I have been in this field for about 23 years. I started out working in group homes um, as I attained my bachelor's degree. And during that time, um, I definitely developed a great passion for this population of individuals. So as time progressed, I worked in a number of fields. Um, I worked for MHMR for a while. And um, then I started working for a provider, which is what I am. Um, We're licensed by Health and Human Services Commission. We have a contract through them. And so as time progressed, I would watch, I would see what was going on. I saw that it was an opportunity to be able to really delve in and work with this population of individuals, to be able to show my passion, to be able to create a culture that was very conducive to who I am as a one as a woman of God, um, and be able to impart such um, a wonderful love, a sense of love and compassion for the individuals that I'm able to serve. So that's how it came about. About three and a half years ago, I developed Family of Faith Service Providers, and since that time, um, we have incorporated our learning center. That is where the individuals come on a daily basis um, and they learn various skills, socialization skills, they learn transferable skills, they learn um, some of the skills that are specifically designed for what they want to do within the community. So that's really how the birth thing came about, really being able to say, hey, you know, I want to do this. I want to be able to show how I display my love and my empathy and my compassion for this group of people who have special needs. Um, And I wanted to be able to see a difference in their lives, which I've been able to do. My mission statement is to enhance lives every second, every minute, every hour of every day. And I get to do that. I work with a great group of people. We have fantastic contractors. Um, We have fantastic employees that are there at Family of Faith that are in our learning center. Dolores Mitchell is fantastic. I couldn't rave about her enough. Uh, Kay Bonner, who's our administrative assistant, who does a fantastic job. And we have a slew of volunteers who come in and everybody has a great sense of compassion and a great sense of wanting to enhance and impact their lives. We're going to talk about a little bit about how the process works. Okay. Um, Because this service has always been available in different forms with different companies or providers. However it's not always so easy to get that information unless you just know what you're looking for. People do not always know that, hey, you know, the buck doesn't stop here. When you get out of care or when you embrace the world at 18 or 21, whichever school ends or if school doesn't end for you, that there are options for you in the special needs world. So if, if I come to you, if I'm out there with the special needs kids and I need 
uh, some services for my kids that I don't exactly know what's available. Take me through that process. Okay. The first process is MHMR. They are the first in any situation. Because before you can ever have a provider, you have to receive the funding. So as a parent, the one thing that you have to do is be able to speak with a representative at MHMR that is in the intellectual and developmental department. And what they will do is put you on what's referred to as a waiting list. Um, unfortunately, that is a very long list. Um, it may take up to 18 maybe even I think at the least probably 12 years uh, before that individual may come up for um, services their name will come up on the list however um, I always encourage families to not become discouraged in ensuring that their their loved one is placed on the list um, so that's the first step and I often always extend myself to be able to tell a family hey allow me to walk you through it although they haven't chosen me as the provider per se because they're not having any services rendered my goal is to educate them. So if that is walking them through the process, I am delighted to do so. So that is the first step in everything is to go in, hey, I, I have a child who has special needs, whether they are two years old or they're nine years old or they're 23 years old, it's never too late. They need to be able to speak with the representative at MHMR and ask them to be placed on the waiting list. And then as time progresses, um, even for me as a provider, that same family, if Amy, you were to come to me and ask that question I would say okay here's what's going to happen next there's going to be a waiting period once that but in that waiting period process let me tell you about the various services that will be offered to your child once they do receive their funding so you're already educated even if it's 12 years down the line you'll remember I spoke with Miss Mayberry and this is what she said I can expect absolutely we ended up dealing with this a few years ago um, I'm gonna was a foster parent I've adopted 18 kids. Wow. Um, wow. The first child that we adopted ended up having intellectual disabilities. We knew nothing, absolutely zero, yes. about any of it. So we muddled our way through school and the special ed classes and the, you know, <coughs> all of these special things that we deal with. And when she became a teenager, um, it kind of she was kind of harder to have in our home with other children. And she was aggressive, and so there was things that we started checking into, what do we need to do? And we got her into MHMR, and yeah. the first thing they said was, we've got a waiting list. She was 13 years old. The waiting list was at least 10 years down the line. So we got her on the waiting list. We did what we could for the next, until she was 18. Um, and after she was 18, she, you know, was an adult and we had to go through the process of uh, getting guardianship. Mm -hmm. Of course, it would have been ideal if she would have been able to have handled that on her own, but she was not able to. So we went through the legal process of getting guardianship and that is just overwhelming to parents because you're already dealing with all of this other stuff. And then um, we ended up deciding to put her in a group home. So she went into the ICF program. Um, she did pretty well there. I had a lot of guilt feelings about it. And then what I realized after she was in there for a few months, she was happier there than she was at home. Yes. Because she was around other people that could relate to her. She was going to the sheltered workshop and 
all that. Well, her name, then we ended up, she moved to a different group home that I felt like was a little bit better for her in Stephenville. Okay. And um, so she she's been there to. for quite a while now. Uh, Katie just turned 30. Wow. And okay. so it's been a long process. Yeah. She's very happy there. Her name finally came up last year Wow! on that HCS waiting list. So she is in an HCS home. Um, it has actually been kind of harder with her in HCS than it was ICF because, you know, she has more freedom mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. has more choices and she wants that freedom, but it's, she's not ready for it, you know. She so that's kind of a struggle with us. You know, one of her things is I want my own cell phone, but she has no boundaries on that cell phone, and she calls everybody in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. and you know, mm -hmm. so we've had to put a nix on no cell phone, no cell phone. Um, so that's kind of been a struggle with us. Um, so I think most of our listeners are foster and adoptive families and I think we go into this a lot of times you have a child that comes into your home with um, intellectual disabilities we just assume that CPS is going to take care of that putting them on the waiting list or their biological family is supposed to put them on the waiting list but I can tell you now that CPS knows less than the parents do so it's very very important as foster parents that we get them on this waiting list. And I have done it with some of my foster children in the past, and it is possible for you to do that as a foster parent. So I would just really, because these kids, they're in foster care now, but one day they're not gonna have a place to that go. That is correct. They are going to age out. Um, ICF um, ID um, definitely is a lot different from HCS. Mm -hmm. However, I, the great thing about HCS is that it follows them for the duration of their lives. Right. Great program with great benefits. And the sad part is that a lot of families do not know. Um, I've taken to, if I see families in the community, um, I always have a little prayer inside and say, okay, I, I really hope if I approach them, it doesn't offend them. Right. But there are many families that are not familiar with these particular services and so uh, families need to also understand if they are not diagnosed before the age of 18 then it's almost a situation where there is no more help it is it falls on the hands of the parents and um, and it is unfortunate that a lot of our school systems are not in tune with MHMR I wish there was a little bit more of some consistency there um, so that we could ensure that the families and these individuals don't fall by the wayside that there's a situation where here they are their loved one is 23 years old or 22 years old, they're getting ready to no longer be able to be in the transition system or the transitional classes, I suppose, that's how it's referred to in the school system. And then the families are left with, well, what do I do now? Right. What happens with my child? Most of us, we have if we have children, our goal is to raise them and they move out on their own and that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Many families who have children with special needs do not have that luxury. And so it's a blessing that you were able to get that information. My goal is to speak uh, with the school systems that is my desire um, in the upcoming months to be able to do that. I have done some. What the schools are supposed to be doing is having transitional fairs. And that is where we as providers are invited in to be able to talk to families about these particular services. However, they don't always do that. Um, 
and that is the, the piece where the, the ball is dropped and families are left in the dark. Sometimes, I, as I said, I'll walk up to families and say, you know, have you heard about these particular services? Have you heard about this program? As a matter of fact, uh, my, one of my children was in karate and there was a family there whose daughter had Down syndrome. And I literally walked up to them and said, I you know, want to talk to you about, have you heard about these services? They had never heard of it in their lives. I happened to see that same family, coincidentally, um, in McDonald's probably about a month later and they were so thankful that I actually walked up to them and it may seem like something very small it may feel like it's being a little bit intrusive but sometimes families just don't know right. and those of us who are providers it would be great if all of us had that desire that if we see families sometimes disabilities are very visible sometimes they aren't and so um, the school systems have a better feel of this child um, going into the pediatrician's offices, giving them information, letting mm -hmm. them know, hey, there, you've got um, people that are you know, coming here for services, uh, your child who has Down syndrome or your child who has a disability and giving that information. So my goal is always to be, in, to be able to educate the community. That is my hope even today in being, being able to come in and talk to the live audience about the services. So if there's a family out there that's listening, they understand the whole process and what it's going to take in order to ensure that their child, um, their needs are met. And again, great for Katie. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. yeah. So do you help people if their children are autistic? I mean, what's, what's the gamut of disabilities that you actually help provide services for? Well, if they have... To answer your question, they have to have an IQ of 75 or below. That is what deems them um, as having an intellectual disability. So that's the first step. Um, so autism will more than likely fall under that spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily as much of the diagnosis as much as it is the intellectual disability. So these particular services are for those who have an intellectual disability. That's the difference as well. Some families may have a child who's just developmentally delayed, not necessarily intellectually de de developed. I mean, I'm sorry, not just in, you know, intellectually de delayed, not, um, I'm sorry, developmentally delayed, right. excuse me. But there, so with that being said, again, MHMR has so many variations of services that can assist in that capacity. So there's not, to answer your question, there's not a specific diagnosis. What I always want families to look at and understand is my child. Get them diagnosed. If you feel as a parent that your child has some delays, get them diagnosed. Get in there. Make sure you're, they have an intellectual testing done so that they have this information and they're armed with this so that they then know, okay, I see this. Mm -hmm. This is what's going on with my child. So what services are out there for them? MHMR is always the first step. If nothing else, you can ask them questions. If they don't um, have it within their servicing, they can refer you to somewhere else, but they, is, they are always the first step for any parent who has a child with an intellectual or developmental disability. Got it. Okay. And you know, I think a lot of parents, I know I was in denial. Yes. That my child needed that help or would not be able to live on her own. I kept thinking, no, you know, in a couple of years, she's going to, you know, grow up and it's going to get better. And so I think that parents really need to, that's a disservice to the child Certainly. to be in that denial stage. And I think that so many parents are. But I think as um, social workers, Amanda, and 
uh, foster parents as well, these kids that are in the system, so many of them have developmental delays. But I think that we need to be so proactive Certainly. because often these parents are, um, don't have the connections, don't have the resources that we do. And I think that we have a very small window of time with these kids while they're in care to get them all of the services that they're entitled to and all the services that they need. So I think it's so important that, you know, you get a child in your home and you suspect that they're delayed, that you get, that you ask for that testing and get them on that list because, you know, you might be the one that's made that difference in that child's life because that child might go back home in six months and then who knows what's going to happen. Right. And I know that the waiting list can be a little bit discouraging. If you were to hear that and Katie is 30 and you're thinking, well, my goodness, we've got to wait 12 years. Well, in 12 years, a family, the parent may be deceased. Mm -hmm. Katie's still Absolutely. here. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. it, that is one thing that I truly try to emphasize as well. You know, we, uh, our goal, our hope is that we um, don't outlive our children. Right. So in most cases, we don't live outlive our children. So as parents, what is very important is for us to be able to say, regardless of how long that waiting list is, if it's 20 years and, and the Per, that individual is 30, perfectly fine. Yes. Because when that loved one is gone, when those parents are no longer, uh, you know, here and alive, that individual can still be taken care of. Right. You've got the residential support homes for them to go into. I know they were, they're referred to as group homes as well, which you had made right. mention of earlier. And so that now you know they're in a safe environment. Now you know that they're taken care of. They've got these benefits that will be with them until they're no longer here. And yes. that is very important and very vital um, for the those who have special needs, our community of people that are uh, receiving these services, that families understand the, the importance of that. Right. It's never too late. I, can, I can't stress that enough. Um, and for parents, it is very difficult um, when you're in denial. You don't want to think that there's something no. going on with your child. That is very difficult. Um, one of my children had a speech impediment. And as a mother, I can understand him with me. <laughs> you can't understand him? What are you talking about? And so um, it was very difficult for me, but I had to really, really get to a place of saying, he's got a speech impediment. And when the school came to me and said, um, special ed, everything in me, it, it just, it felt like it just flooded away mm -hmm. because I thought special ed, you know, he's labeled. However, special ed is just that. It's just special education. It is away from the general piece right. of the education. And um, the counselor was very uh, well-versed in helping me understand it, what the classroom structure was going to be like. And that is what we have to do as parents for our loved ones. I get it. We all want our child to not have special needs, but if they do, there are services for them. And if a parent could really process and, and think, think of it this way, when I'm gone, someone is gonna be able to take care of my child. There's a benefit here for my child. So I think if we could place that within ourselves internally as parents, it, it will go a long way. Right. I'm glad and that it, you did. I and applaud it, uh, you for that. Yeah, and it does just kind of give you a sense of peace that, okay, if I die tomorrow, she's going to be taken care that of. It's not going to be a burden on my other children to have to, you know, deal with all of these things. Definitely. And I really like it that we're still able to be involved in her life yes. um, as much as we want to be, mm -hmm. or as much as she wants us to be, yes. I should say. Yes. <laughs>
Yeah. I know she. No, Mom, I got that. I yes, know. At, that piece, of course. at yeah. Christmas, we were, you know, every Christmas we go and get her, and she comes and spends a week or so with us. And last Christmas, she said, uh, "Would you be offended if I just like stayed home yeah. and spent Christmas with my friends?" And we were like, "Well." I guess, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so we went and got her, and she came home and had, like, dinner with us, and then we took her back. And, and you have to be proud of that independence. Yeah. That yes. is fantastic. Yes, that is yeah. great. Because she feels that way. She feels this entitlement. I'm an adult. I live on right. my own, although she's living with probably several peers. Mm -hmm. It's still the thought of it's my own apartment. Right. I mean, all of our children who are non-disabled get to have that experience. Well, some of them. Some of them still stay at home at right. 30. I don't know. For the most part, that is the, you know, that's the luxury of being able to grow up. So you have definitely gave her, given her the greatest gift that you could give her, was which is her independence mm -hmm. and she's enjoying it I'm proud of her yeah. for being able to say hey I want to stay with my peers and enjoy this time with them I'll talk to y'all later That's so good. talk a little bit about uh, sheltered workshops tell us what tell us about that you know they are getting away from shelter workshops now there is um, Health and Human Services Commission is um, now reviewing that because oftentimes in sheltered workshops if you all are not familiar with it they do not even make minimum wage most of it is just piecework. So Health and Human Services Commission, state legislature is saying, hey, um, well, do you get to come to work and do piecework and get paid a quarter? Or when you clock in, right. for any of us, if we work eight hours a day, we have a set wage. Mm -hmm. We make a certain amount per hour. It's not based on if my administrative assistant, if she filed uh, 10 papers today, she got $10. No, she has set a set amount. So the sheltered workshops is, are some things that they're wanting to break away from or right. look at it a little differently. What happens in sheltered workshops is this. Oftentimes that workshop will have a contract with various companies within the community. So say for instance, Kohl's or Walmart and Walmart wants them to break down boxes or they want them to come in if they've got damaged bottles or if there's soda that's been spilled they want them to wipe the soda off and repackage it and things of that nature well some are working faster than others and so it's not fair to say well Amy can make this amount because she works faster than this person over here so sheltered workshops are a means for them to be able to gain some um, sense of employment mm -hmm. However, we want to be able to look at it fairly. It does teach them some skill set, but also if you all are not familiar with it, uh, Texas Workforce Commission has actually collaborated with DARS, which is Department of Aging and Rehabilitative Services. And their responsibility was to ensure that those that are the people we serve who have intellectual disabilities have a fair opportunity to work in the community. So the great part about the sheltered workshops, it's a, it's a start, mm -hmm. which is great. If they don't have any skills, that's where they go. They get to have, uh, learn a few more skills there. But Texas Workforce Commission is now coming in and interviewing them and saying, where do you want to work? Mm -hmm. As you're familiar with ICF versus, uh, versus HCS, HCS, HCS is all about person-directed planning very different from ICF. So the sheltered workshops, it's now being incorporated in person-directed planning. So Texas Workforce Commission is now collaborating with the workshops and saying, let's assist you in understanding your skill set and where you may want to work. So for a year, 
they will have a job coach that will go with this individual after they choose the job of their choice and they're hired. That job coach will go with them and work with them beside them every day. They shadow, right? They shadow yes. and they teach them that skill and it allows them to be able to, number one, learn their job. Number two, retain their job so that they can keep it. So that's the goal right now. Although the sheltered workshops are there, we still want to be able to say right. it's person directed. What do you want to do with your life? Same with Kate. Right. What do you want to do? You want to live at home? Do you want to uh, live in a residential support home? Do you want to work in a sheltered workshop? Or do you want to work in the community? So that's what's being offered to them. And I think that opens it up for more employers to be interested too. Because Certainly. They're getting their money's worth. Basically, yes. they're getting two people for the price of one, right? That is correct. Yeah. And you've got to remember, you know, sheltered work workshops can almost look like free labor. Right. So that is what they are really uh, moving away from, which mm -hmm. I am elated about. Um, I had an opportunity to go with one of my individuals and sit through Texas Workforce Commission, and they asked all the questions, and they did the interviewing, and it was fantastic to sit through the process with her and to know that she has some skills, and she can actually work and earn um, a minimum wage versus piecework which I don't knock piecework. Right. I will be very honest. Um, it is wonderful for some. Um, however, if you have other skills, we certainly want them to work in the community. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, at these um, sheltered workshops, are there specific employers or companies that are um, partnered with your organization or the Texas Workforce? Um, already? Not necessarily so. Okay. Um, it can be anyone in the community. Uh, it could be Walmart. It could be now some of the as far as the sheltered workshops, they may have specific contracts. However, Texas Workforce Commission does not have anyone that they partner with specifically. It is just anyone in the community. If they, if their desire was to work at a radio station like this one, the goal would be to teach them how to do so. What would be the steps that they would have to take in order to be able to work in a radio station? Probably, if it, they don't have the skill set, it may not happen. However, we're going to try our best to ensure that they can. And so, if that doesn't work, we look at what skills they have and how to enhance those skills that they already possess at this point. So, to answer your question, there aren't any specific partners um, as far as Texas Workforce Commission is concerned. However, there are specific partners for the sheltered workshops. They do have those who are willing to partner with them. Some of the department stores, the Walmarts, the Targets, uh, they sometimes will sort hangers, um, different things like that to keep them, they, they'll shred paper. So those are some of the things that they'll do as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. That's great. That's exciting. Yes, there it is. Are, there are different levels of care for the service, the services that you provide. So some kids, it might look like living in a group home. Or some kids, it might look at some independent living. Or some kids still live at their their home but they still get services can you break down each of what those dynamics look like so people know that this just isn't um oh your kid has special needs and is aged out let's put him in a home that there are different options that is correct um, there are different options one in particular that is great is community first choice and that in most cases are individuals who live on their own um, they live in their own apartments. They have the ability to live in their own apartments. And we really can't assess um, if they can or cannot. Uh, for the most part, we look at the least restrictive environment. If they have a goal to live on their own, we try our best to ensure we um, teach them how to do so. For the most part, we have what re what's referred to as residential support homes. 
that is the same as group homes. Mm -hmm. Then you also have where they're living at home with their families, and we have a staff that will go into the home and work with them in their home, as well as take them out of the community. If they're living in their home and they're older, some of the goals that may, they may be working on is learning to cook. Um, learning to grocery shop, learning how to eat healthy, that also prepares them for living in their own home or living in a residential support facility, or I wouldn't say facility, I'll say home, because it's definitely summer facilities, summer, say home, summer homes, my preference is homes. Uh, we want them to be in the least restrictive environment. So for the most part, the goal is to ensure that wherever their skill set is, if they, if they can live on their own, we want to make sure they can do that. And what we do is provide the support. So they've got a, uh, someone that's going to work in their homes. We look at a number of hours that they may need each day. So say, for instance, in the mornings, they're up, they're kind of relaxed, they don't really do much. During the evenings, they need to be able to cook. So we have a staff in there that's going to help them cook. Number one, to remain safe. Um, there are, in that particular service, Community First Choice, there is no overnight. So if you find that, that as a parent that your loved one cannot live by themselves at all, then the other option is residential support homes. So um, those are the options if, as a family, such as Katie, you want her to live on her own. Residential support may be better for her. Supervised living is another one. Supervised living means they're in a, a residential support home. However, they don't need a staff that's awake with them. The staff can sleep because they have the, the ability, they have some more functioning abilities uh, that will allow the staff to not be have to lay eyes on them for 24 hours. And then there's residential support where you have to have 24 hour awake staff. So that may be some of the lower functioning individuals who need someone that, that's gonna help them with their um, activities of daily living all day long. They cannot function by themselves. But Community First Choice allows them to live on their own. Um, and live in their own apartments and have a staff that comes in and works with them. It allows them to have some great independence, but still support, which right. is good. A lot of them just really need the support. They don't need someone that's with them 24 hours a day. So that's the difference with the variation of services when it comes to the residential police, excuse me, the residential piece. Some live in their home, some live in their own apartments, and some live in what's referred to as group homes. So that's what is offered for those. So talk a minute about when you refer to, or people refer to adult foster care. Adult foster so care, very good question. That. Yes, um, it is host home community care. So you've got an 18-year-old who is now wanting to live on their own, so to speak, or live, with, not on their own, they don't want to live with mom and dad <laughs> yeah. anymore. Or uh, they're not quite ready for, they don't really want to be in a residential support home, and they really don't necessarily um, have the capabilities to live on their own. Host home companion care is where the individual will live with a family. It is set up just like a family home. It's the same thing. It's literally someone that is overseeing them. They are responsible for paying room and board because you are living um, in this home of this person. So in most cases, it looks as though you're renting a room, uh -huh. if that makes sense, because, and when you rent a room, you have to pay rent. So they still, but they still again have that support. They still have someone overseeing them, but it's not as though they're living with a peer, if that makes sense. Right. They are living with this family. They're not living in a residential home where it is staff. Um, there's a difference there. Many of our individuals can say, I don't want staff. It makes me feel like 
um, a kid. A kid. Yeah, yeah very sense. good word. Uh -huh. Yeah, that makes me feel like a kid. However, in host home companion care, you feel like this. I I've just got a roommate. Now yeah. there's guidelines, of course, because you're living in the home. But it's not like um, residential support where you have 24-hour staff and you have in and out staff. You've got one individual person that is working with them. If that makes sense. And they do have a sense of privacy. That and is correct. And some freedom. And some freedom. Uh, if they have a guardian, we have to be uh, cognizant of that. If they've got a guardian, some of those rights are regulated because uh -huh. a guardian gets to oversee that and say, hey, uh, number 44 of your rights, uh, it's a little obsolete. So um, unless I say you can, you can do this. And then we have to look at rights restrictions. We have to review that as a team if we're going to restrict any of their rights. But nonetheless, yes, the... the um, host home companion care again they've got a mother or a father or a mother and a father but they don't have staff that are in and out there's different staffs that staff that are rotating it looks a lot different right. it just looks like a family home where it that's structured mom is in the kitchen cooking um, so or dad's in the kitchen cooking so there's a little difference there so Amy your mother went from being a foster parent just to traditional be a foster, foster parent, parent. <laughs> to being an adult foster parent, correct? Yes. And that correct. she's been doing that for how long now? Um, how long have we been with Family Affairs? You, you all have been with me uh, for three years since I first yeah, started. Y'all were one of my families that I got to, you know, the, the trial and error. So <laughs> when I first and, started here, and we totally believe in the God process. So when yes. it came available, the options were to be able to keep my sister who had gone through child foster care with us that had special needs to be able to keep her in the home you had to change that the dynamics legally so we went through that process and mom and I spent many hours just going through a phone book trying to find somebody and literally it was going down this list and then family of faith just popped out and mom said there's something about that name there's just something about that name so we made that call. It was a blind call. It was, we didn't have any clue what we were getting into mm -hmm. and made that call. And mom came, we went to the drawing board and mom was like, what do you think? And I said, I'm just so impressed. I'm just so impressed. And one of the things that stood out to us immediately was that Lashika lives, eats and breathes God. If he's not in it, she's not in it. And so that made a difference for us. And not every provider is like that, just like not every home, not every child care place and agency, they're all different. And you, you have to pay attention. You have to channel God in that. So for us, that was it. Thank you, Amy, for that. That really uh, does bless me when I feel as though I've done a great service and I've done it in excellence. Mrs. Long um, and yourself, I always say, if I could duplicate, oh my goodness, if I could have 10 of them, life would be easier. Uh, but we, I know that with um, Amy as well as Mrs. Long, they certainly have a great passion they love what they do. They love to serve um, in any kind of capacity. Um, I'll give an example. We lost all of Miss Long's uh, paperwork. <laughs> I don't want to say lost. I'm not going to admit that. I'm going to say that we misplaced it. <laughs> it's somewhere in the office. You just don't know exactly where. But Ms. Long brought us a year's worth of documentation. I don't want to get teary-eyed on this, um, this segment, but that is what she does. Um, and I, I can't imagine someone else would have gotten frustrated 
I was at the office. Amy says, I'm right up the street. And I said, well, you know what, Amy, I've got to go. Just slide it in the, <laughs> the little mail slot. She was like, oh, Lashika, I have a year's worth of documentation. Because I didn't know <laughs> exactly what the admin had emailed Miss Long. And so we had months where we had some weeks, not other weeks. And it was just amazing for Miss Long to take the time to go through her notebook. Number one, I was impressed with um, how wonderfully organized she was. That was fantastic. You've got all of two set 2017 just sitting there yeah. um, and we ask for it one day and we've got it the second day and it is that type of teamwork that I look forward to um, at Family of Faith every single day. I've got wonderful people who have come on board. They have entrusted me to provide a great service. And my goal is to do that in excellence. Definitely also to be able to be able to show, show and display a love for God. If our families need prayer, we're there. Um, whatever it is that they need, that is our goal. That's our desire. Um, and we want to emulate God in everything that we do. And the Long family have just, they've been wonderful. They've seen me go through a lot. Um, 2017 was very difficult. And Amy's, you know, was like, hey, I'll come up here and file papers for you. Just what do you need me to do? I mean, that was always the question. What do you need me to do? And it's fantastic. We're like one family. Family yeah. of faith service providers is a family. And that is what my desire and goal was for us to just be a family. And we're like, a, we're definitely like a family unit mm -hmm. beyond a shadow of a doubt. We're like a family unit. We all love each other immensely mm -hmm. and I wouldn't trade it. Now, what areas do you cover? Um, I actually have two waivers. They're referred to as waivers. Right. So they have different counties within them. So I have the Tarrant County area. I have Dallas County. And then it stretches to Johnson County. It's really, really wide. Um, just to help understand it, it's really based on the MHMRs in the county. Okay. So um, if it, <clears throat> excuse me, if there's an MHMR in that county, I can actually connect for that county. So it's it's a little difficult to actually map it out for you because of the fact that it's not just Tarrant. Right. And it's not just Dallas. We've got Ellis County in there. Um, we've got Johnson County. So there's some various counties that we actually serve. And what is an MHMR again? You said what is MHMR? Yeah. The acronym or the, what they provide? What, is, what does that mean? What oh, does okay. MHMR stand um, for? Mental health, mental retardation. And as if, if any of you do not know, um, the DSM-5 now uh, refers to mental retardation as intellectual disability. MHMR has not changed their name. However, okay. that is still how they are referenced. Uh, mental health, mental retardation. And that is what, uh, those are the people that they serve. They have a slew of services mm -hmm. for both sides of the spectrum, those who have mental health and those who have intellectual disabilities. And we have some individuals that are dual diagnosed. Wow. They have both. Yes. And so MHMR Katie serves was dual diagnosed. She was dual diagnosed. Yes. yes. So you're familiar. You're yes. well versed in this. Very yes. So. You've been broken in well. And you know. Um, <laughs> That's great. As far as, you know, in the world of foster care, so many of our kids end up with that mental health diagnosis. Yes. And in Johnson County, MHMR can be so helpful with, um, you know, they have a crisis mm -hmm. team that will come out to your house. They were out at my house two nights ago. <laughs> yes. Start. Start is wonderful. Yes. That's another show. So, yeah. That, yeah. Whole another show. There you go. Um, so, yeah. MHMR, you need to find out more about it if you don't know about yes. it. If you're a foster parent, it can be a real lifesaver for you. Yes. Certainly. 
Let's talk about the Learning Center. Ah, the Learning the Center learning impresses center. me so much. Yes. Um, they are referred to, most of them are referred to as day habilitation centers. This is where, uh, again, as I stated earlier, our individuals go during the daytime hours if they don't uh, work in the community. And um, they're there. They're supposed to learn various, you know, work on their goals, learn various skills. Well, um, when I was a service coordinator, I visited many day habs. And I did not find that they were doing much with the individuals. And my goal was to say, you know, when you come here, you're going to learn. We're going to impact your life and you are going to learn while you are here. So I had this great vision. So when they are here, they will learn transferable skills. What better way for a parent to be able to see their child learn whatever they're doing at home. They can bring it to the learning center. Whatever they're doing at the learning center, they can incorporate it into their home and the community. So here's my thought when it comes to transferable skills. If you are in the learning center and you are learning about fruits and vegetables and healthy eating, you should be able to transfer that information and go to the grocery store and be able to point out that this is a fruit, this is a vegetable. They are learning math skills. Um, Dolores Mitchell, who is the Learning Center coordinator, um, definitely caught my vision. And each day, um, just yesterday, um, Amy, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see it, but we have two different rooms. And in this room, Dolores has now set up stations. They've got a computer station. For many years, we've been told our population of people cannot learn they just know the basics. No, they are learning mathematics. They are learning addition. They are learning subtraction. They are learning reading. They watch movies from time to time. And Miss Dolores has turned that into a learning segment as well. So you're not just learn. You're not just watching a movie. What have you learned? as you watch the movie. Who is the main character? What's happening to the character? They talk about safety skills. They talk about um, and learn and discuss about appropriate attire. What do you wear in the winter versus what do you wear in the summer? Things of that nature, um, hygiene. Um, all of these things that are very intricate for them understanding their daily activities of living. Um, if uh, We have one who didn't know how to tie her shoe. Dolores bought this huge shoe um, and she tied that shoe every day and now she's mastered that skill so we're never going to give up if a parent has a goal we're going to work on that goal um and we're going to make sure that what they walk away from they what they get there they walk away from understanding i can utilize this in the community i can utilize this at home and so for spring break all of them had an idea of what they wanted to be when they grew up and so for everyone that desired, one wanted to do carpentry, one wanted to be a DJ, another a stylist, Dolores Mitchell found people in our community that had, that held those particular job positions and they came and they did demonstrations. Wanted, one wanted to be fit and healthy. So we had a culinary expert come in and teach about cooking and hygiene when you're cooking and all of these things so they can feel proud each day um, when they walk away. Our community has definitely started to recognize us. Uh, they do menu math. So they, that was one thing that they were working on. So they're looking at menus and they're learning the cost of a meal. And so they took that skill. They went to Maria's Fine Dining and they all ordered food. Um, they have gone to visit with the judge, the criminal justice system. This is what happens. Let me speak loudly into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you act up in our community, you have the potential to be arrested. <laughs> and this is where you end up. So right. again, we've got many people in our community that even have taught them that. Here is how you conduct yourself in the community. Here are the consequences. But better yet, you get to sit behind uh, the podium and bang the gavel. You know, some of the fun mm -hmm. things as well. And so they've walked away feeling very impacted. And that's the name of our learning center, Family of Faith Service Providers Impact Learning Center. We want to impact their lives every day. So it is fantastic. They're learning something all the time. Music, the elements of music, um, discipline. They were line dancing the other day when were I they went line to pick dancing? up. They were line dancing. Yeah, I'm in my <laughs> office every day like, what is going on in the learning center? They're cooking. They're always cooking. Yeah. Uh, yes, Friday they cook thing. something. Yeah. And those, and those individuals know all about it. Yes, they do. I, all I heard last week from my child, because I work for Family of Faith, is we're making chicken. We're making fried chicken on Friday. <laughs> it was, it was fantastic. <laughs> they had their gloves on, and some of them were like, I don't really know if I want to touch this flower. And we're like, you have gloves on. I promise you, you can throw <laughs> yep. your, your chicken around in the flower. But it's those things that give them a sense of empowerment. Um, it gives them a sense of belonging. It gives them a sense of, I can learn this, especially if they've seen you all demonstrate that at home, and you're cooking. Now they feel empowered to be able to do it as well. That's the goal of the Impact Learning Center that they walk away saying, okay, you know what? I can do this too. Somebody told me I probably couldn't, but I really, really can. And it's just a matter of taking the time to be able to teach them to do so. And we're going to be patient in doing that um, and ensuring that they, they find that they get that skill, they adhere to that skill and they learn it and they can utilize it in real life. That's mm -hmm. the goal. You know, I have learned from, with Katie, that it, it it's so different coming from someone else yes. than it is the parent. Of course. Because, you know, she's listened to me for 30 years, you know. So what I say, I'm just her mom, but hearing it from someone else, then it's the gospel, you know. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes. Katie had a, went through this period where every month she wanted to get married. I have a new boyfriend, and I want to get married. And the first few times I was like in a panic, mm -hmm. you know, of course, because I was like, oh, no, you know, that can't happen. Oh, my God. And then they sat me down and said, you know, Katie changes boyfriends like almost daily. So they said, you know, tell her that you'll consider it if she's still with the same person a year from now. So that is now my answer, and I tell her that about once a week of, okay, Katie, if you're still with him next year at this time, well, you know, I'll, I'll approve for y'all to get married. And then the next week we have the same conversation, but it's a different guy. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. That is so amazing. But it sure took a lot of pressure off of me of course. Yes. to even have to worry about it. Right, of course. I One of the right. things that I love about the, about the Learning Center is that if you visited a day hab, it, it looks very much like this. You walk in, there's somewhere between 15 and 30 kids, and they're typically either watching a movie or coloring. Yeah. That's what a day hab looks like. Yep. It doesn't matter what level the individual is on uh -huh. from the next one. They're all doing a uniform thing together okay. every single day. Correct. When you walk into the learning center, you have, is there 10? There's 10. The 10, 10 individuals who are getting one-on-one -on -one time on whatever skill they're working on. Mm -hmm. So you don't have 10 kids coloring in a room. Right. 
you have 10 individuals just passing who are, time. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Which one of my sisters right now is learning to tie the shoe with a shoe. Yes. So that shoe is back in rotation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, another one, you know, is working on schoolwork. One is, I went in one day and they were doing mock interviews. And now I have to tell you, I heard about it all the way home with my sister. <laughs> um, Anna said the whole way home, I'm going to work for McDonald's. I'm making my own chicken nuggets. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, Mr. Dolores, I'm off with that one. You are causing him. You're causing a ruckus yeah. around here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it inspires them. You know, it inspires them to want to do more. And, I mean, how much joy can we get out of that? When I walk in there and I see them and they're smiling, they're always happy, they're energetic, and um, they have a lot of things that are visual for them. We try to do a lot of things that are visual. So when you walk in, they have their schedule up. So they can look and see what they're doing at eight o'clock, what they're doing at nine and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have a summer schedule. This summer, although Dolores did teach, they had a little bit of relaxation. They had some field trips and things like that, but she was eager for this week to end because she is ready to jump back on board. And they literally have, um, there's a curriculum that they learn from and and mr loris has actually put her spin on things and so they they've learned a lot um we have individuals that are coming new some that have been there for a while um and some that are new ones that are coming many people are so impressed uh it's unbelievable because amy is correct most times you are going to have a uniformity of them doing the same thing every single day here at family of faith you know we're going to learn and it took some of them a while because mm-hmm. they were like what do you mean i've got to sit and i've got to learn but as time progressed they began to just really love it because it's called structure and consistency mm-hmm. i have learned with our population of people they need that in order for them to thrive even Absolutely. just for me as a mother mm-hmm. any of us that are sitting around this table that are mothers we know that consistency is key. Kids tend to thrive and do a lot better when you are consistent and when you are structured. And that's what's provided. Nobody's walking around and tearing paper or walking in circles. or No, you're not doing that. Right. We are sitting and we are behaving. We have rules and we have consequences. And that, that's posted as well. Miss Mayberry made those up so they can understand that this is reality. Right. Mm-hmm. When you misbehave here, here's a consequence. When you do well here is a reward. It's what we do. Right. And so they do understand. And that's real life. Many times and oftentimes they're not taught about reality. So they go through life just misbehaving doing exactly what they want to do and they don't and and it's not their lives haven't been structured so now they get the structure and when you have the structure you have the great discipline and every day they come in and they know what to expect which is fantastic they know that when I get here I I had to work in the learning center Dolores had taken a day off my god Um, (laughs) (laughs) you don't know how much you appreciate it exactly you're You're like like, oh my goodness but it was so wonderful because the individuals in the learning center told me what to do (laughs) it was like and Dolores it was so funny because Dolores had like every hour I mean she literally had wash your hands okay put hand sanitizer on I mean she had an outline of what I was to do and it was just fantastic but even to see them because she's so consistent and because there's so much structure they were literally helping me throughout the day this is what we do right now and that spoke volumes that here we are and and none of them no two are alike Mm -hmm. no No. two are on the same level it is very individualized if this is how you learn and how you're slower paced this is what we do so what would you say to foster parents to social workers in the foster care world if 
they have a child in their home or on their caseload that they suspect has intellectual disability, what would you say to them? Again, the first step is contacting MHMR. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is where you're going to get as much information as you can get. I always tell families, although they, there's a waiting list for HCS services, there are still services. MHMR offers what's referred to as service coordination. So although they don't have HCS for Texas Home Living, which is another program, mm -hmm. there's still services. So MHMR is the key. Get in there, let them know this is what you want done, and then don't stop there. After these, the assessment has been completed, there's going to be an outline of what they qualify for. It could be respite, mm -hmm. it could be day habilitation services, and the funding is there. So that is very important and intricate for social workers to understand and to know. Guardians, um, guardianship services, a lot of times they don't know. They may have heard of a HCS services, but don't know about anything else. Oh, I've heard of HCS, I've heard of Texas Home Living. Well, there's others, there's general revenue, um, there's different, there's class. Those are other programs before you have HCS and Texas Home Living that are out there and that are, are resources for families. So again, as I stressed earlier, MHMR is the key. Families so, need to know they right. are the first step and almost the above all step before right. you get to anything else. So don't assume that CPS is that going is correct. to have them on that list Never or have assume. the resources they need. It's yes. up to you as a foster parent, as a social worker, yes. to get them that help. Yes, and, and that is most importantly, um, to call and get that help. Phone number 817-569-3300. That is MHMR. I have it memorized. <laughs> that is the number. Reach out, and they'll direct you to whatever department you need to go to. That is who they, and they will steer you in the right direction. A lot of times the families don't know the vernacular. They don't know the verbiage. And so they're just flying blind. Um, you know, they're like, I don't know who to call. Well, don't worry about who to call. Dial MHMR's number and say, my child, I suspect my child has a developmental disability or I suspect my child has an intellectual disability. Which department can you connect me to? Or will you connect me to that department? There's early childhood intervention as well that many families don't know about. If your child is uh, zero to three years of age, now, that's another service. Now, see, if a child is in foster care, they are required. Oh, wonderful. Between zero and three, they are required to be assessed whether we suspect they have anything wrong or not that is wonderful they're still required to have that assessment done that's great and and families need to know there's services you are never alone there is a service for everything um, whether it be minimal or whether it be major hcs in texas home living is um, ongoing life lasting however there's before that process there's other services so that's something i certainly want the families right. to know whether it's cps whether it's the guardians um social workers um that is what's out there there's other services that are available mhmr is the connection well thank you so much You're thank you very for joining welcome. us today you have just been a wealth of information thank you i have thoroughly enjoyed it and thank you ladies for having me on um, i hope that i have given great information about family of faith service providers wonderful thank you so much thank you